Why would you choose to follow a particular person? I'm not talking about Strava or Twitter, following them in that sense, but in the Christian sense, why would you choose to listen to a particular pastor or to listen to a particular Bible study teacher or a ministry coordinator or perhaps even a personal relational mentor? Why would you choose to listen, to follow that particular person? Or to ask the question a slightly different way, which is how we've been asking it the last few weeks, how can we discern authentic Christian ministry? How is it that we can spot it and how is it that we're going to spot the fakes? It's the question that Paul has been concerned for in the last couple of chapters in 2 Corinthians as we've been dealing with that over the last few weeks. And it's a question that really matters for us. It matters for us because it will help us know whether we ought to trust Paul or not. And that's important because he wrote a whole stack of the Bible. But it also really matters because the Bible is very clear in teaching that in the last days, the time that you and I live in, false teachers will emerge. False teachers who will exploit some in their greed, who will lead some to hell. It matters that we be able to discern true, authentic Christian ministry because you and I now live in a world where we have more access to Christian teaching and to Christian teachers, I think, than anybody has in the history of the world. It's hard to believe that it's only been 10, 12, 14 years since the advent of of the podcast, the advent of being able to jump on the internet and go and listen to teachers and preachers and conferences and church services from all around the world. I remember back in 2008, 2009 was when I first remember starting to go, oh, I could listen to a preacher from that church or I could listen to that preacher that people are speaking of. I can start to go on the internet and find what they've been. Mind you, at that point in our church, we still had a tape library. This is only 12 years ago. We had this enormous custom filing cabinet full of 30 years worth of cassette recordings. If you wanted to listen to someone preaching from our church, you'd have to come into the building, sign up for the library, find the tape for the talk you wanted to, and then hope that the last person to listen to it had rewound it before putting it back in. That's a little joke for the slightly older people. Whereas now, we can listen to anybody at any time. And so you and I, more than ever, need to know how to discern true, authentic Christian ministry. In the last couple of chapters, as we've seen Paul exploring this question, he's touched upon the teaching ability, whether that matters or not, the content, which certainly does matter, the pedigree, the impressiveness, a whole bunch of things that it seems like the Corinthian church had been caught up with. They thought that the better public speaker you were, the better you clearly were in Christian ministry. The, the better your pedigree, the more, the more impressive you were. But Paul has said of all of those things, no, that's not what matters. And today in our chapter, in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, Paul turns to this question of visions and revelations. 
Again, we, we, we can assume that these false apostles, these so-called super apostles in the church in Corinth, were boasting about their own supernatural visions. Their, the things that God had spoken to them, the revelations, the supernatural experiences that they had been having. And Paul, well, he takes them to task. Now, my aim in this time, I have three aims. I want us, first of all, to see how it is that we can discern authentic Christian ministry, in particular in this question of visions and revelations. Secondly, I want us to understand what Paul means by weakness. And thirdly, to understand what he means by power. So let's talk then about authentic Christian ministry, in particular how it relates to visions and revelations. And Paul's point is this, whatever vision you've had, whatever vision your teachers and your leaders and these false apostles claim to have had, whatever vision they have had, I've had better. I've had a more glorious vision, a more magnificent vision, a more powerful vision. And you know what? It doesn't matter in the least because supernatural experiences are not a marker of authentic Christian ministry. Have a look with me, verses 1 to 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Boasting is necessary, Paul says, I take it as he continues being a fool for their sake, as he keeps speaking their language. Boasting is not profitable, but Okay, let's do it. You, you, you want to talk about visions? Let's move on to visions and revelations of the Lord. You think you've got good ones? Listen to this, verse two, verse 2. I know a man in Christ who was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether he was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. I know that this man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a human being is not allowed to speak. I will boast about this person, but not about myself, except of my weaknesses. You want to talk about visions? You want to talk about revelations? You want to talk about experiences of God? I know a man, Paul says, and I think it becomes fairly clear that he is talking about himself. We'll talk about why he does this in the third person in a moment, but who was brought into the third heaven in the presence of God, paradise itself, and heard such extraordinary things, such wow, but they're inexpressible. In fact, they're so amazing that I'm not allowed to speak of them. I heard the very things of God. Now look, immediately we have questions, right? What's this third heaven? What's this paradise? How did this happen? Why does it matter in the body or not out of the body? What did he hear? What did he see? I think quite on purpose, Paul doesn't tell us. The only people I could find who have any sort of description of this third heaven all talk about how they themselves had a vision and they themselves were taken into the third heaven and therefore they can describe it without realising that the point Paul is making here is that that vision, however glorious it was, however much better it was than whatever vision those false apostles wanted to talk about, really, it doesn't matter. It hasn't been worth mentioning up until now. It's not worth boasting in because it doesn't tell you anything at all about the person who had the vision. That that I have a vision tells you nothing about me, tells you nothing about my ministry. All it tells you about is, okay, I had a vision. 
In fact, in Paul's case, he says, this vision was dangerous to him. Look down with me at verse 6. If I want to boast, I I wouldn't be a fool because I would be telling the truth. I, I could boast about that vision. But I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given me, a messenger of Satan, to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. This vision was dangerous to Paul. The temptation being that he would boast in this vision, that he would boast in the extraordinary revelation that God had given him. And instead, God made sure that he would stay humble. I don't talk about this vision, he says, so that no one can credit me with something other than what they see and hear. I don't talk about this vision because it is not the thing that is going to commend my ministry to you. Rather, what you know of me, what you have seen of me, what you have heard from me, that is what you ought to be evaluating. It's the problem with visions, honestly. It's why they are so dangerous. Personal, secret. No one else knows, did you have it? Did you not have it? Did you truly hear? I I, I went looking on Monday and I'm I'm not going to tell you what I saw, but I went looking on Monday to go and find descriptions of visions that other people have had and so many of them were clearly unbiblical and yet massive congregations just being enthralled by the preacher, speaking of the grandeur and the amazing and and what happened in the vision and interaction with Jesus and, and it's fascinating and yet so clearly They are exalting themselves. Visions, revelations, supernatural experiences are not a marker of authentic Christian ministry. You can, you can just on a quick Google find any number of pastors and teachers and preachers for whom the entirety of their teaching seems to be well, last week I had this vision and the week before I had this other vision and if you only had that to go on, you would know nothing at all about that individual. Who do you listen to? It highlights the importance of listening to local people, of going to your local church, of having a relationship with your Bible study group leader with your personal mentors, with your pastors, of being able to see their lives and hear their teaching directly, of being involved with them so that you know them, not just this vision. Visions tell you nothing about the person. In fact, you can go read through the Bible. There's a whole bunch of times where God's enemies received visions from God, true visions from God, Powerful visions from God, amazing visions from God, and they were still God's enemies. You can read the story of Nebuchadnezzar, or Balaam, or Pharaoh, or Belshazzar, or the witch of Endor, right? All of these people received true, powerful revelations and visions from God, and all of them were God's enemies. 
Now, God at times used these visions to bring people to himself. You think of Saul, who would become Paul on the road to Damascus, as he hears what is arguably one of the greatest visions anyone has ever had. It wasn't just him, but the people around him heard this vision as the Lord Jesus appears to him and speaks. So God does and can use it, but at the end of the day, it tells you nothing about the person themselves. God's enemies had visions. These things are not a marker of authentic Christian ministry. Well, if visions and revelations and supernatural experiences aren't, what is? What is it that Paul would have us look at in his life? What is it that Paul would have us look at in the lives of those leaders and teachers around us to see authentic Christian ministry? Well, there are two, he says here. There is weakness and there is power. There's weakness and there is power. So you notice again, come down to verse 7. As as Paul is talking about this vision, and in fact what what ought to be in contrast to the vision he had. Therefore, halfway through verse 7, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself. What that is? No idea. But the impact is clear. Keep me humble, not exalt myself. Keep me in dependence of God. Concerning this, verse 8, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, and here's the key, my grace is sufficient for you, For my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The true markers of authentic Christian ministry are weakness and power. Now, I want to talk about them a little bit. We've been using those words for a couple of weeks now. I want to make sure we understand what it is that Paul means by weakness and what it is that Paul means by God's power at work. See, I think of weakness, as soon as we use that word weakness, I take it to mean that I can't do stuff. To say I am weak means... I can't write a sermon. I can't create a presentation. I can't fix uh, a a broken pipe. I can't, I, I am weak. I am unable to do something in my circumstances. And that therefore God's power means God helps me to do the thing. And so it's a thing that I couldn't do, but then God helped me to do it. And so life is now good. I don't think that's quite what Paul has in mind. Did you notice what he says at the end in verse 10 there? What is it he takes pleasure? He takes pleasure in weaknesses, yes. And what does that look like? It looks like insults, hardships, persecutions and difficulties for the sake of Christ. So I take it that weakness isn't so much an inability to do things, rather it is in Paul's mind the difficulties, the hardship that we have in life because of Jesus. The hardships that come because we follow him. Come back to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It's so clear here. Come back to 2 Corinthians and chapter 6. Have a look at verse 4. 
again, what it is that marks out Christian ministry. Instead, chapter 6 and verse 4 of 2 Corinthians, as God's ministers, we commend ourselves in everything by great endurance, by afflictions, by hardships, by difficulties, by beatings, by imprisonments, by riots, by labours, by sleepless nights, by times of hunger. We commend ourselves to you because our life is hard. And it's hard because of the Lord Jesus. It's hard because we are so dedicated, so devoted, if you remember that word from a couple of weeks ago, so devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ that we suffer because of it. That we have to go out of our way to evangelize. That we are persecuted because we seek to live holy lives. We suffer the consequences of preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you can know that we're for real. You see, one of the true markers of authentic Christian ministry is that the individual is so devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ that their life is extra hard because of it. That you can see the consequences of their preaching Jesus. And it's in the midst of that weakness, in the midst of that hardship and that suffering, that God's power is displayed. How is it? What is God's power that is being displayed in them? Well, God's power is that even in the toughest of circumstances, even in the hardest of life, even in persecution caused because we are followers of Jesus, God's work keeps happening. You see, weakness and God's power go so closely together. Look at what Paul continues in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians. Verse 6, right, this is what we commend ourselves by everything, by, verse 6, purity, by knowledge, by patience, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God through weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left, through living God's ways, even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of the toughest of situations. You see, weakness and God's power go together. He keeps going down in verse 8, through glory and dishonour, through slander and good report, regarded as deceivers, yet true, as unknown, yet recognised, as dying, yet see, we live, as being disciplined, yet not killed, as grieving, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet enriching many, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. (laughs) The markers of true, authentic Christian ministry is that even in the face of great weakness, of affliction, of suffering, of hardship, of persecution, God is at work through that, through that hardship. God is at work to bring about his purposes. Do you know what his purposes are? His purposes are to make his own people more holy, more like him. His purposes are to produce hope in those who otherwise would have no hope. To see evangelism come about as his people reach out with the gospel of truth. 
God's work is to produce endurance, to stand firm. God's purpose is to produce faithfulness, that his people will always trust him. God's work is to transform character. God's work is that his people would flee sin, that they would love the truly unlovely, that they would be patient and long, long suffering. You see, these are the markers of God's work and they are marked that it is work that happens so frequently in the middle of hardship. You want to talk about being patient? Well, you don't need to be patient if everything goes your way. You want to talk about endurance? You don't need to endure if life is easy. You want to talk about hope? You don't hope for the things you already have. You want to talk about trusting? You don't need to trust if by your own strength you can achieve it. You want to talk about holiness? Well, we don't need to become more like God if we're already perfect. God's power, true power, is seen when a Christian is going through something really horrible and yet can say, God is good and mean it. True power is seen when we treasure God more and more and more despite the circumstances or maybe even because of the circumstances we are in, because of the affliction we suffer. We value him more, we treasure him more, we love him more, we delight in him more. There is God's power. There is true, authentic Christian ministry. God's power displayed in our weakness. Now, gee, there's lots of implications in this. I have seven that I'm going to list out for you. This is a passage that isn't just quirky, as it turns out, but speaks really deeply to us. If you're a note-taker, good time to write these down. If you're not a note-taker, excellent time to start. Here are seven implications to get us thinking. Number one, don't be fooled by the visions of preachers. Don't be fooled into thinking that somebody must be a powerful worker of God's Because they've had amazing visions and revelations. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by preachers who teach that Christianity is all about happy fun times. That Christianity is all about your best life now. That Christianity is all about the problems being removed and the journey from here to the grave being one of never-ending pleasure. Thirdly, don't be fooled by preachers who face no difficulties because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't trust preachers in particular whose lives are comfortable and who are themselves rich. Don't be fooled. Number four, don't put your own trust in visions. Don't put your trust in visions. Now look, you may have visions from God. You might have revelations from him and they may be of really powerful blessing in your life. I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm not saying you need to stop, right? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying don't trust them as in don't put your confidence in the vision itself that somehow the vision is the thing that saves you or the vision is the thing that you can trust that you are God's. No, what you need is to trust the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. What you need to depend upon is God's grace. 
And so, number five, if you do have visions, be very, very careful about what you do with them. Paul could very well have been preaching about the visions he had. He had at least two that we know of for sure, and it's highly likely that he had a whole bunch more, right? Here is a man who soar into the heavens like few others in the history of the world have, and he never spoke of them. He only speaks of it here, seemingly, begrudgingly. He has to make a point to them. Be very careful. Certainly don't boast in them. Certainly don't boast. And if you are going to share them, think very hard. Is this helpful? What's the point in sharing this with somebody else? Number six, suffering is in God's hands. And we see it very explicitly here, this thorn in the flesh. Paul asks God to take it. He doesn't ask Satan. He doesn't rebuke Satan. He doesn't create some form of theology where it's all about getting rid. No, he just turns to God. He says, are you going to take this from me? And God says, "Eh, no, you need this. This is good for you. Suffering is not something that is out of God's control. It's not that he catches him by surprise and then he's got to play catch up. No, he does what we need. We might not like it. We might not agree with him. But he knows best. His work so often happens in our weakness, so often happens in our affliction. And so number seven, and this is what we want to finish with, God's grace is sufficient. What God gives us is so much more than we need. He's not stingy. To say God's grace is enough isn't to say, well, you've got enough in that, make do. God gives us so much more in abundance, certainly than we deserve, even than we need. He's a loving Father who pours out His power into our weakness to do in us His purpose. God's grace is sufficient. And so please, please would you trust Him Would you pour yourself out into his hands such that with Paul, you and I might be able to reflect upon our own lives and in the end say that we too take pleasure in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecution and in difficulties for the sake of Christ, knowing that in that very weakness, the Lord Jesus is at work. His power is evident and displayed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that your power works in the worst of our circumstances. Your power works when we are at our weakest and frailest, when we are going through the toughest of times, when we are suffering the most and we are afflicted the most for the Lord Jesus. We praise you for the hope that it gives us to know that the worst of this life is still in your hands and is still part of your plan. And we praise you that it is part of that plan that we might share in your glory as we display your character. Teach us to love you, to value you, to treasure the Lord Jesus above anything the world has to offer. 
such that in devotion to him, we might always, always find your grace enough. Amen.